Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. It is the last weekend of October. So many spring plant sales and shows happening around the place and the sun's coming out here in Adelaide, certainly. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb, and welcome to Blue Skies and certainly Good morning and welcome to those gardeners that just can't resist the challenge of new plants and growing or buying and growing a new plant and and being one of the first. That's just like you, John. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that that makes life very, very interesting. There's a new wave of garden designer plants coming through, real wow plants, and we're going to use the old-fashioned grandma's uh, rather untidy ivy geranium as an example of what is about to happen in terms of wow plants coming to gardeners here in South Australia. Jason Scroop from Poplar Grove Wholesale Nursery will be our guest very, very shortly, and he'll talk about uh, just uh, how incredible these new plants are, and in particular, how you can look after your wow plants, because they're more than just an ivy geranium, there's a whole range of them coming through. So Jason will talk about this and try and uh, make sure that when you do buy your plant that you can look after and that continues to look like wow. Later, tomatoes, are they setting fruit? Are they flowering? And so far, we would like to think that it's going to be a good season for tomatoes. But can you have your tomatoes ready for Christmas? Wayne Lisbeth, practical tomato grower and friend, will be our guest later in the program. Wonderful. And of course, we'd love your calls. Up first, we're talking about geraniums. So if you have a question for Jason Scroop, call in now on 1300 222 891. We'll get to general talkback gardening calls a little later in the program. If you've got a comment to make, we'd love to receive them on the text line 0467 I have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little later in the program. And if you do have a smartphone, it is easy if you want to make contact with us to download the ABC Listen app. And then you can just hit a couple of buttons, tap the ABC Listen app and get straight through to us. Jason Scroop is the owner and manager of Poplar Grove Wholesale Plant Nursery. And Jason is responsible for introducing a lot of the new wow plants that uh, are being developed around the world. He brings them into South Australia. And the nice thing I like about Jason, his nursery, is he trials them. He's got his own trial garden and he trials them before they're actually released to see that they do continue to be wow plants. And we're going to look at some of these new garden designer plants with Jason. So let me say good morning to you, Jason, and welcome to Talk Back Garden once again. Good morning, John and Deb, and uh, good morning to all your listeners. So let's use the ivy geranium as an example of what's happening in terms of plant breeding. First of all, just explain how today's new wave garden designer ivy geranium differs from the one that Grandma used to grow. Yeah, well, I'm sure for most of your listeners, we don't have to introduce geranium ivies. We will know them from the past, and they've been growing for a long, long time. Most of us grew up with a geranium ivy on our telegraph pole or uh, hanging over our <laughs> fence but uh, the breeding has improved so much like most plants over the last five to ten years the new ones that we're trialing and bringing in there are much much improved all right and so I'll, let's take a look at those improvements first of all the, the plant shape well i think that's one thing you know when we talk about the breeding most people are probably thinking we're looking for new colors or new varieties and to be perfectly honest now most things have been discovered john so 
most of the efforts now go into improving the habit of the plant and the geranium ivies, as we remember, are quite a scrappy one. They've bred a lot more compactness into them and a lot more flower power. I mean, most of the breeding is looking at continuous flower for 12 months of the year. And we can generally say geranium ivies now will give you colour throughout the whole every month of the year. And that's the fantastic thing about them. Can I come back to the shape? Uh, uh, as you mentioned, you often used to find them growing up uh, telegraph poles, uh, whereas what's the size of the plant we're looking now and, and, and where, uh, obviously, you're not going to grow it against a, a telegraph pole. Where would you grow one of these new ivy geraniums? Well, I've got about 10 baskets along the front of an old bungalow house here just south of Adelaide and uh, about 10 baskets along the front and not one person doesn't stop and look at them, you know, they what they look for, as I said, is short internodes, which means they have a much more flower power compared to foliage power. And also what we're looking for is how they, what we call, bury the old flowers. So that means when the flower's finished, um, what does the plant do? Does it hang on to it and have this unsightly bud? What, what geranium ivies do now is they push through the new growth, push through the new flowers, and you really don't notice the old buds anymore. And it just gives this feeling of the plant being continuously in flower. So... Uh, much with that uh, that habit and the flower power now, it's just a showstopper for, for virtually the entire season. One of the reasons that uh, geraniums, ivy geraniums, were so popular is they were so hardy. Often when plant breeders uh, get to work and, and redevelop the shape and size of a plant, they lose some of that hardiness. What's happening in terms of this ivy geranium? No, not that at all. I mean, it's uh, this characteristic is absolutely still in the ivy geraniums, and they are certainly one of the hardier flower plants you'll ever put in your garden. But I'd say to most people, certainly they do do flower and perform with neglect. But most, like most of us, they if you give them a bit of tender loving care, just that little bit of extra water, regular fertilizer, and um, trim occasionally, they really will perform much, much better. So yes, they are a set and forget plant to a certain extent. But if you want them to their full potential. Your normal garden practices still do apply. We'll come back to the growing in a sec, but uh, tolerance to weather, we're going to get some pretty hot weather. What will happen if we do get some extreme hot weather on uh, this kind of a plant? Yeah, look, the plant itself is, is super tough and super hardy to extreme hot weather, but what you'll find in the very, very hot weather, when we get up into the high 30s and perhaps even into the 40s, you may get some flower burn. There's no doubt that's the first thing a plant will, when a plant's under stress, it's the first thing it will decide to remove. So if you can protect them a little bit during those very, very hot days, um, so some my hanging baskets, for instance, certainly we would up the watering. I water my hanging baskets once a day, but as it gets hotter, they get watered twice a day. And maybe if you're getting those one or two extreme days over summer, I might just bring them under veranda for a day or two. Um, and that's a pretty good practice, which will make the flowers last longer. Jenny has sent through, John, a photo and con- I'm so happy we have photos now on our text line, yay, um, of a geranium, which I showed you, John, and you say that's one of the old ivy geraniums. Yes, if you can have a look at it, take a look at it, and it's what I would call a grandma ivy geranium. Uh, It's there, it's tough, it's in a hanging basket, it looks attractive, but it's not nearly as uh, uh, attractive as these new garden designer plants. And could I suggest those of you that get the Good Gardening newsletter, make sure you take a 
look at the lead story for next week. We'll have a, a photo of one of these new garden designer plants. The one, the, the, the photo, I, I, I'll come back to Jason. I think probably it's probably already sold out, that particular one. But right. it's a good example of what we're talking about. And if you've got a question for Jason on geraniums, call in now. We've only got him for another few minutes on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Jason's group who is um, talking to us about a new ivy geranium. So not the old ones that you're used to, but a new one. And we'll come back to him in just a moment. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. This morning we are talking, wow, ivy geraniums with Jason Scroop, owner and manager of Poplar Grove Plant Nursery. Jason, before I give you back to John, who I know has got a million questions for you, just a couple of questions on the text line. Gail, Gail in Geelong asks, what's the difference between a geranium and pelagonium? Are those terms interchangeable? Look, they are. Actually, the botanical name of geranium is pelagonium, so rightfully they are actually all pelagoniums. But we generally know the old regal pelagoniums, uh, the azalea-type flowers that flower later in spring, we loosely call them pelagoniums. And geranium, as a common name, the actual geranium we know as geranium, is, as I said, is actually a pelagonium, but we just use it as a common name. And just finally, where do ivy geraniums originate, asks this texter. Oh, that's a good question, John. You might have to help me here. I don't I mean, think I can. <laughs> most of them have been so heavily hybridised yes. over the they uh, they've been crossed and crossed. And uh, but the original geraniums there are actually native geraniums, genuine native geraniums that grow in Australia. Um, but the actual zonal geraniums we know, John, I don't know, we might have to use Mr Google for that. Yes, and I think many farmers will tell you well, there are lots of geraniums which are nasty weeds, but uh, that's a story yeah, for a, a different uh, time. Let's come back to our ivy geraniums. They're just one of many of the uh, uh, new designer-type plants, and uh, I think maybe we've covered the fact that it's an ideal plant. It's small, it's compact, it looks great in a hanging basket or in a container and uh, the important thing is you've got your wow plant it, 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 it's you won't say you've had to pay an arm and a leg for it but uh, they are uh, they're value for money I suppose that's probably the best way to describe it but how do you keep your wow plant looking well yeah, well, I think we're specifically talking about geraniums. Mine, as I said before, they will they will grow on neglect, but you know, regular garden watering and regular fertiliser really will keep them at their best and their best flower power, giving them energy. But they also do need to prune, and I find that the best time to prune both ivy geraniums and zonal geraniums is after the hot weather's passed. So we're talking sort of you know through March, maybe into early April at the latest, allowing them to recover. And then when we get the wet weather through July, which often is not their favourite time of year, they've really got good, fresh, healthy growth leading into that, so sort of cooler months. So uh, absolutely pruning is essential for geraniums. And I think about March, early April is the absolute perfect time to do it. Deb mentioned I can't resist a new plant. And one of the ones I couldn't resist was a mega begonia, a mega bush begonia. Just very, very briefly, tell us about this new mega bush begonia. Yeah, well, again, another one that's old, that's new again. Uh, it's, just, it's just really bred from the old bedding begonias, but it's a much more improved variety. They will, again, flower 12 months of the year, similar to the geraniums, growing to about 
40 to 60 centimetres high. I've got them just literally out the back here in the flowering box out the back here, about 15 of them, and they are non-stop flowering with hundreds and hundreds of flowers. So the big begonias, which you can get in red, you can get in white and get in pink, best in and uh, protected from the very hottest of suns. So maybe something, you know, sort of morning sun, afternoon shade. And again, in a pot, it is fantastic and will give you long, long-term colour. Let's come back to the geranium. And before we got the ivy geranium, we had what I call the big reds, the big pinks and the big burgundies. They've been out for a couple of years now. But um, they, again, are just incredible in their ability to flower and keep on flowering. Let's take a look at... They're flowering at the moment, flowering the little heads off. It's it's how to look after them. When do you sort of trim the flowers or do you have to trim the flowers off? And just just quickly run through the the summer growing season on how to really look after your your big geraniums so that they also look great. The big geraniums, I guess, were bred predominantly for the landscape market to get geraniums in the landscape. So a mounding habit, you know, they'll cover around about 60 centimetres, even a little bit more. Um, and they're very tolerant to being in the open open garden. So I like to deadhead mine, you know, regularly. I'll be out there today, probably deadheading mine through the spring and coming into summer. Um, but there's, there's, there's ways of protecting your plants from the summer heat as well. There's many, you know, sunburn creams for plant, I guess you can call them as well, John, that you can spray on your plants in the summertime. But geraniums really are very, very tolerant. So upping your water a tiny little bit, making sure they're nice and uh, healthy and feeding coming into the warmer weather and mulching them is very, very important coming into the warm weather. And that'll give them the best opportunity to thrive all summer long. What's your thoughts on using a spray like kale and clay, which are used by apple growers to, uh, as a sun protection? Could we be making better use of those kind of protective sprays for looking after our wow plants in particular during that very hot weather? Absolutely no doubt, John. Um, there's some fantastic products on the market now that you can use that are nice and safe, easy to use, and they are genuinely a sunburn plant, a sunburn cream, sorry, for your plants. So they will give you quite good protection, especially up into the high 30s. They will also give you some frost protection in the winter as well. So if any of your listeners are sort of in a, a frost prone area, they'll generally give you several weeks of, of cover for frost and for extreme heat. So basically what they do is they hold the moisture in the plant and and, and to act as a sunburn. So a very, very good thing to consider, especially if we know when to get hot weather, John, and we know next week's going to be warm or we're going to get up into high 30s. It's absolutely a good idea to go around and, and, and do your plants with something like that for sure. And in future programs, we might take a look at some of these protective sprays. Drought Shield is just one, I think, of probably a number out there. Kale and clay, people are realising that that can also be used. And uh, uh, so we, we use it quite regularly in the nursery. If we know there's going to be a hot weather coming up next week, we will we'll go out and spray the nursery, and it's, it's quick and easy to do. Uh, it's non-toxic, it's safe, so um, we, we will do that as general practice in the nursery. Jason, that's tremendously important. People, you know, hear the normal message, you've got to water deep, you've got to mulch, you've got to do the, the liquid organic fertilisers, but there are new products coming onto the market which are available to home gardeners. How do we get the message out to home gardeners that there are new and exciting and better things out there? Well, people like yourself, John's a good start, I guess, but... Um... Um, you know, uh, as I said, speaking to your local nursery is really the best way and there's new products coming on the market all the time. And I said a lot of these products are bred in a commercial environment and used commercially 
and then, then then bought into the retail sector. So speaking to your independent local garden centre is probably the very best way of getting the very best advice leading to warm weather. Before I let you go, just uh, drop something on to you. Um, your maybe best three or four top colour garden designer plants. You've mentioned ivy geranium. Obviously, there's mega begonias. What would you add to that list? Well, I think one of your favourites for a shady garden, and we're all probably getting shadier gardens as the blocks get smaller. And one of your very favourite plants, I know you're always pestering me, for new coleus coming out. <laughs> uh, so, coleus are largely a, a foliage plant with large, beautifully coloured leaves and all, all colours of the rainbow. And if you've got the shadier spots in your garden, you're struggling to find something, uh, or maybe just get little patchy bits of sun throughout the day, I think mm. the, the myriad of colours of coleus on the market now is something certainly to consider. Yes, they'll be coming through very, very soon. Sunshine is, many people have got a, a nice sunny courtyard. What would you recommend as a wow plant uh, for maybe getting going now so it looks great for Christmas? Yeah, I can win one of, the, one of the very best plants I've got in my garden people stop and look at is Alstroemerias, John. Um, and again, Alstroemerias, probably people might think of them as cut flowers, which they absolutely are, and there's some fantastic taller varieties. But there's also a lot of compact varieties now. And Alstroemerias, again, have got a fantastic flower power. Many of the, the varieties will flower six to 12 months of the year. And they're a brilliant pick flower as well. You can pick them, bring them inside, and uh, that's, they will stay in a vase for two or three weeks. And and again, they're super hardy and massive flower power. So any of the Alstroemerias that we put out, as you said, are well tested. There's a good colour range and one for every colour of the garden. All right, got a final one? Sun or shade? Oh, sun or shade, John. I think, as I said, we talked about the begonias before, but there is a, a huge selection of begonias coming through for, um, for, for hanging baskets and for pots. So there's a begonia bigs that we talked about before, but we grow a lot of um, hanging basket varieties called non-stop begonias with beautiful big summer flowering, uh, especially around Christmas time and just after Christmas. I think the begonias, along with the geraniums, are some of the old plants that are new again and something you should go into your local garden centre and consider for the summer months. What about impatience? There's some lovely double flowering impatience coming through. Are they available? Yeah, definitely another great warm season one. That's a good tip there, John. So again, if you've got a shady area, um, the double impatience is one that's been released in the last two years, much improved breeding called Bonita. Um, and you'll see it in our elite series of labels, impatience that doubles um, and fantastic. Again, easy to grow, great for pots. Generally speaking, they're probably only annuals in most people's gardens. The cold weather will generally get them. But if you're planting them now, you'll get a good six to nine months of continuous colour in a shady spot. I've had mine growing for about 15 months and it's powering away. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly will be. Uh, will get through the winter. If you keep them a little bit on the dry side and away from frost, they yeah. will get through. And, and the message is these are new plants and they're designed to respond. So if you give them that little bit of extra attention, just a little bit of uh, keeping the soil moist and just a little bit of extra nutrition, they really do repay. I think if you want to keep them at their best, um, as I said, a, a good nutrition program, keeping the water up to them. Most of these plants, as I said before, will, will they will grow in you know less than ideal environments. But if you really want them to be at best, good fertiliser regularly, uh, watering them, and as I said, consider some of the other things like mulching and, and other protectants to keep them looking great in the summertime. Brad, on the text line it says, I recently saw what looked like a geranium, but when you crushed a leaf, it smells a, a bit like lemon myrtle. What is that? 
fantastic um, foliage uh, varieties of uh, pelargoniums or geraniums as well. So lemons and geraniums are quite po are popular as well. Um, and you can get all different sorts of scents through uh, through the geraniums as well. So it really is a, a very big genus. And as I said, going down to your local garden centre this time of year, you should be able to get um, a really good range of scented leaf pelargoniums or geraniums as well. Wonderful. Uh, Jason, love talking to you. Thank you very much um, for your time this morning. Good on you, Dad. Thanks, John. See you soon. Thank you, Jason Scroop, owner and manager of Poplar Grove Plant Nursery. And thank you for your beautiful pictures. I'm so pleased we've got pictures. Uh, Jen in Pandana on KI says, a mixture of geraniums and pelargoniums brightening up the side of my shop, all from cuttings, locals and tourists alike ask for cuttings and I can understand why it look beautiful. Rhea from Glenelg North also says I think these are new geraniums that she sent through. Everybody stops and looks at them and comments on them so we love our geraniums don't we? And finally Jen in Blackwood very similar sent another wonderful picture through saying this is explosion but I have tomboy on the left since it cut back has just not grown. Sorry, didn't get a chance to ask Jason about that one, but thank you very much for your calls. We are hopping straight back into Talkback Gardening and wouldn't you know, we've missed Heather in Semaphore with Jason on a geranium, but we've got you here covered with John Lamb. Hello, Heather. Uh, hi, Deb. Um, I've got a miniature ivy geranium. I think it's a miniature anyway. It has a very delicate little flower. It's lovely and it's flowering beautifully at the moment but it's got some sort of a um, bug on it. It's quite a bulbous looking white thing with a sort of a brown head which is I think the mouth end. I've tried some echo oil on it but it doesn't seem to have done any good. I wondered if there's something else I can use that's non-toxic. Well, it depends on how non-toxic, I suppose. There are a lot of chemicals <laughs> coming through. Um, the combination, uh, just come back to that little insect. If you touched it, is it soft or is it hard? Well, it looks soft. I haven't actually touched it. I'll go and touch it now. No, no. Um, if it's it, if it, it's soft, it's it's a, a bug, as distinct from a scale. If it's a hard, oh. it's probably a scale. If it's soft... And it is—it's uh, probably one of the mealy bug type things, and they have a protective coating around them. So when you spray them with oil, unless you're very, very good at spraying, the spray just runs off, and it doesn't give you the effect you want. Um, you can, I think, get in. Keep continue using your eco oil or one of the oil horticultural oil sprays, but I would add to that one of the potassium sprays, potassium okay. sprays, um, and you'll find that if you put those two together, they're very, very, very effective. When you okay. get plants where you spray and the water runs off, uh, there are uh, chemicals that you can buy. You can buy a little bottle of uh, uh, material which is very good for distributing the chemical more effectively. It's a bit like a detergent, having a little bit of detergent in, into the material. And if you, okay. uh, uh, if you ask your garden centre for uh, uh, material that will spread the chemical more effectively. And for okay. plants that have got uh, uh, that waxy kind of a covering on it, and particularly for insects where you spray and the water runs off, it really does make a very significant difference to the effectiveness of that chemical. Okay, good. Thanks very much. Thanks for calling, Heather. The phone number for General Talkback Gardening 
And for anything on this station is one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Call in if you'd like to speak to John. Meg in Crafers, your lily is not flowering. Good morning. Oh, hello. Good morning. It's actually lily of the valley. Um, I've had it in for nine years oh, and it's Clethra never flowered. Arborea. Do you think it's time to give up? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and has it flowered at all? Never. Never. And no. I presume it's in a fairly shady position, an extremely shady position. Yes, it could, be, it could be a bit too shady I maybe. I think so, yes. Think? Let yeah. there be light. Yes. That's the yes. answer. You need to get it's, more it's light, light to it. Uh, light will give you the energy uh, for the plant to produce the flowers and uh, oh, you can right. boost it a little bit with nutrition but not probably sufficient to get you the flowers you want. Uh, so right. if you can look around and maybe uh, increase, uh, you can reduce branches sometimes, uh, uh, you can just get more light shining in on the plants, particularly in that uh, uh, late winter, early spring period. That's most important. Mm. And uh, um, if, uh, that, that, if, you, if you can't increase light intensity, you need to either dig them up and move them or give them to a friend. No. What about the cold? Do they mind the cold? No, no, they're quite cold tolerant. Oh, Okay. All right, I think my friend might get them. Yeah. Unless frost, I mean, if frost will knock them off, but I'm, if you're just talking about cold soil... Uh, no, sit... no, no, it doesn't get any frost mm. under there. No. Um, no. But it is freezing cold, I wondered. Anyway. Yeah. No, no, I think you've either got to move it or uh, improve the light. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Meg. John. Thank you for the call. You're like me. Sounds like you don't like giving up on plants. I'm very similar. Uh, Jane's in Miniper. Jane's, what's happening to your apricot tree? Yeah, good morning to you both. We have four stone fruit trees, all in their fourth year of fruiting, uh, planted uh, in the same sort of area, two metres apart, well mulched, same watering regime, same summer and winter pruning they received. Um, the growth, so the growth is quite prolific on all four trees, but our problem is with our early divinity apricot tree. Um, there's new growth on the tips, there's um, healthy growth, but some of that looks like it's had something eating the leaves. Uh, leaves on one half of the tree are yellowing and you can see the veins through some parts of those leaves on the tree and it's only on one side and on that same side the leaves have crisped off yes. and no fruit has set. Jane, are you other... in, in town or out on the farm? Out on the farm. I know. Yeah. Um, you'll be aware of uh, boron then. Boron is a, an element in the soil and that can be quite toxic. And it's my observation of many trips to Air Peninsula that stone fruits often don't thrive on the Air Peninsula because of the high boron content in the soil. And uh, that's not an easy one to overcome. Um, the other three trees have, have got fruit ready to go. like they're, they're loaded, but this is just not fruited and it looks a bit sick, like yeah, it needs well, a bit of a health tonic. Sure. Some, some trees you know, have got a greater tolerance to harsh conditions than others. Apricots are very susceptible to boron and uh, they just don't perform well. But you can accept the challenge. What you need to do is improve your soil very considerably. So I would be getting some uh, chicken, man uh, some sheep manure from underneath the sheep shed and put a nice thick layer of that onto the topsoil and then cultivate that into only the top two or three centimetres. Don't go down deep, but just cultivate that into the soil so it breaks down quickly. Uh, water it, get it nice and wet, and then give it a nice thick mulch. 
and make sure that you keep that mulch topped up. If you can, I'd be adding chicken manure materials or uh, uh, organic uh, fertilizers into the mulch. And if you can get the material to break down and it will seep down into the soil and as it seeps down into the soil it will help protect the roots from the effect of boron. Okay. Thanks for that. Thanks Jane. Obviously oh. that tree for whatever reason uh, isn't doing as well as the others probably due to that boron. Thank you for the call. Um, it is uh, Talk Back Gardening this morning with John. You can call in on 1300 We love your comments on 0467922891. We'll come back to your calls in just a moment and John's got a little bit of information on citrus gall wasp yet again. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. John, what are the soil temperatures like at the moment and where is citrus gall wasp at? Soil temperatures are just warming up slowly, very slowly, sitting around about 17 at the moment uh, as a rough average across uh, the suburbs and that's just probably uh, a smidgen warmer than last week but uh, it's happening. So I think from a plant point of view uh, they're quite happy to sort of sit there and as uh, temperatures rise I'm sure that uh, they will respond. So good soil temperatures, then we come to citrus gall wasps Citrus gall wasps are starting to emerge and they came out exactly on the date that uh, entomologist Greg Baker indicated they would. They started on the 19th of, uh, of October and I've got my own little plant, a citrus plant, and I looked at it and would you believe the first of the wasps were there on the 19th. Really? And that's after you dosed it up with kale and clay? I, oh, no, I, I didn't treat them. I, I've chopped off most of the galls, right. but I, I, I'm just using my tree as a bit of an experiment. Exactly. <laughs> I love the way you do that. Yeah, and, and, and I, I got some of the galls, put them in a little jar, put a lid on it, and uh, the next day I, I, I could see the wasps were coming out. And then two days later, I looked and they were all gone. <laughs> they are so small that they'd actually got out in between the lid and the jar itself. So uh, have a bit of fun and collect your galls, put them in a jar and uh, put, make sure it's, it's airtight so that they can't escape. Wonderful. And, and you'll just see how minutely small they are. And if you're wondering the damage, you look at your gall and you think, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. If you look at the galls, you'll find these tiny little pinpricks that's where they come out. They're small. They come out of extremely small holes. And you'll find that there's big variation in the number of holes. Some galls, you've got lots of holes, others a few. You'll also find that uh, they're likely to come out on the sunny side of the tree first and yes. on the shady side uh, they might be a, a week uh, or, or later, according to Greg, and also the size of the tree. You've got a big tree, a big canopy. Uh, that uh, will be give you bigger variation. So it's happening, and the important thing is that they'll reach their peak emergence next week, next weekend, around about the 4th of November. So now would be a good time to put on a second uh, spray, a second protective spray if you put your first spray on about two weeks ago. Kale and clay is very effective. Deb, I'm disappointed 
almost angry that I'm getting so much feedback from people saying kale and clay is not available. It's not available in particular from some of the, the bigger stores, whereas some of the other bigger stores do have it. So um, I've done a little bit of homework, and would you believe kale and clay is now available? The Victorians have got to it and sort of said, there's, there's a bloke over there called Vasili. Vasili yes. is a bit sort of like a John Lamb, a Victorian. But, uh, and, and he has got kale and clay and put it in a little, little pack. And so it's available online. If you can't get it, you can get Vasili's, uh, and it's called Citrus Guard White Spray. C-G-W-S, Citrus Guard White Spray. And if you go online and put in Citrus Guard White Spray, you can access that material. It's a nice little pack, and uh, it'll get sent to you. Um, just a quick one to garden centres. Um, I'm very, very almost disgusted with some of you, but uh, if you if you, you go to your garden centre and they say, I haven't heard of it, I don't know what you're talking about, tell them Citrus Guard White Spray is available. And in South Australia, there's a horticultural supplier, Smoltz, Smoltz Horticultural Supply. There could be other suppliers of it. Let but, John know. But, but uh, yeah, get in touch with. Tell them to get in touch with Smoltz, and they will get that material to you very quickly. Excellent, thanks, John. On that issue, Kirsten in Goodwood says I had gall wasps emerge earlier than expected on the fourteenth of October. Ho- ho- Holes in the gall were clear and wasps were stuck in the horticultural glue that Kirsten had applied. Well done. Um, now let's get in, back into some general talk about gardening questions. Lisa in Port Piri. Now your dwarf fruit trees aren't doing very well. What sort are they, Lisa? Um, I've got about 12 um, dwarf fruit trees, but uh, all from different reputable nurseries, but three stone fruit trees all from the same nursery are doing badly um, and I don't really know what I've done wrong because all of the other fruit trees are really happy. Well, I need some description as to what you've done. I presume you planted them during winter? Yes. And were they they were bare-rooted? Yes. Did they have a healthy root system? Yes, and the guy um, cut them back to three main branches Okay, um, so you're off to a good start. We now need to yes. find out what's happened since then. In terms okay. of uh, looking after it, could it be, uh, just bear in mind that July was extremely wet and uh, if you had very wet soil, that would have stopped them from getting an early start. And then since then, we've had very, very dry conditions. We've gone from one extreme to the other. So could it yeah. be that you've got a moisture problem? Well, um now, this is their fourth spring. Um, the first two springs, they did fine and they've developed nice shapes. Um, and then um, last spring, some of the sections, like if, if it had, say, three main branches, one whole branch, all the leaves and fruit just dropped off. Um, and this spring, one of those trees is completely just a stick. Like, it hasn't budded at okay, all. Okay, so you've got something dead. very, very seriously going wrong with your soil. There's something toxic in the soil or something that's stressing the root system. And as I say, uh, it, it, it's overwatering, underwatering could be the stress factor. 
Uh, it could be that uh, when you've got your plants uh, during the warm, hot weather, there's not an adequate root system and there's not enough moisture, and that's stressing the plant. So I don't think I can give you a, a, a definitive answer. All I can sort of say is your problem is with your root system and you need yeah. to work out what's gone wrong to yeah. affect uh, the plant's root system being stressed. Wow, okay. So, And have you seen this before where just one section of the tree will seem to just be... Yeah, quite. Yeah, off. quite likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't blame the tree itself. Uh, it's gen genetically quite sound. It, it's the way it's been treated or not treated that's causing the problem. Might be one with a bit more investigation there, Lisa. But thanks for calling. Uh, Jean is in Kingswood now. Jean, what's the fruit tree that you've got some problems with? Um, can I just correct you? My name's Jean. Um, but uh, that's okay. Good morning. Um, I have a problem. I was away in August, September, and uh, I have a number of uh, fruit trees. And one, my peach, is completely covered in curly leaf, and but it's also budded and got small fruits growing. Is there anything I need to do at this stage? It's still got curl leaf, or that we're going back yeah. sort of a month or so? No, it's got curl leaf now. Right, um, right. Well, you presumably got a shady area there, have you? Or the, the no. is that in full sun? Pretty well, yes. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. A curl leaf is you know, a springtime problem as the leaves come out, uh, buds open. Yep. Uh, that's the problem. But if you have uh, the adverse con growing conditions, you'll get uh, a secondary infestation of uh, the curl leaf fungus. At this stage, I don't know that I'd do anything. I mean, it's going to, the, if the leaves are bad enough, damaged bad enough, they'll drop and you'll get new yep. leaves. What you need to do is focus on growing as many new leaves as quickly as you possibly can and yep. uh, stay away from any kind of a fungicide or anything like that. It's too late for that. Uh, so yep. look at your watering in particular. Just bear in mind that the ground now is extremely dry. We've only had 12 <laughs> millimetres right. of rain for October. That's not very much yep. rain. So yep. the ground, the topsoil is dry and if you don't... Uh, uh, Make sure that the uh, top 30 centimetres around the root system is nicely soaked. Your plant will go into further stress and you won't have any fruit next year. So look after your tree now. Um, deep watering, mulching, liquid organic and stand back. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, Sean, from Kingswood for calling in. Uh, just on the issue of dwarf fruit trees, uh, David says, Ian Tolly says, don't buy dwarf citrus trees. Says, buy normal trees and control the canopy in either the pot or the ground. Uh, that's all right for Ian Tolly to talk. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I mean, he's an ex expert and he certainly knows how to look after it. It, it can, then comes down to management. Some people don't have the time to put the management into uh, the tall trees is to keep them small and so that's why um, small dwarf trees are popular. Mm. We are going to talk tomatoes with Wayne Elizabeth next. Uh, lots of texts from you this morning on how your tomatoes are faring so far in season 2023 but I have two 
ABC Gardening Australia October magazines to give away the last of the two. If you'd like to win one of them and you haven't won anything from the station, ABC Radio Adelaide, in the last month, then call in now on 1300 991. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. So, what kind of a tomato season are you having? Are the plants flowering? Are they setting fruit? Interesting, from a temperature point of view, uh, temperatures have been generally in the low 20s, where they should be in the higher 20s if your tomatoes want to really power away. Wayne Liesbert is a very experienced tomato grower, backyard tomato grower, and he likes the challenge of getting his tomatoes ready for Christmas. Good morning to you, Wayne. What kind of a tomato season are you having? Yeah, morning, John. Deb, uh, yeah, very good. Uh, as I think I mentioned earlier, there's only uh, uh, three days where the temperature got over 30, and we've only had, I think, six days where the temperature actually got past 25. So it's average, but it's not ideal. But we come back to you, Wayne. So you say you're having a good season. Just describe how good. Uh, yeah, very good. Um, uh, yeah, the growth's here. I've already got cherry tomatoes are already fully set and uh, just starting to change colour already. So that's been really good. And plants are healthy. When did you actually start planting? I mean, you don't just sort of go and buy a couple of tomatoes and stick them in the ground. You take it pretty seriously. When did you start putting on your uh, first seedlings, or planting them, and how do they compare with those that you put in subsequently? Well, the first seedlings I put in, I put in, where are we, late August, and they have gone really well. The second lot of seedlings I put in a month later haven't done so well, which is a bit strange, but those plants are still healthy, but they're just not growing as quick as I thought. On that particular point, if I can come in, Wayne, in late August we had unusually warm weather, about two or three degrees warmer than average, and people that put their tomatoes in in August, which is before probably they would normally do, um, uh, have scored because the ground was warm. And then subsequently the temp- soil temperatures dropped back, and so that would explain why your early ones are better than perhaps your later ones. Uh, yeah, probably, yep. Uh, but, you know, the other ones are starting to come along nicely now, so that's good. But really it's not just planting them in late August. I mean, I started preparing in July which I think is important because yeah you can't just plonk them in the ground and expect them to grow. Just explain the kind of uh, uh, care you give to the soil in that winter period to prepare for your tomatoes. I dug the soil over and then I which was last year's mulch which was there and dug all that in and then I covered it all with a layer of fresh animal manure and then I dug all that in to give it a chance to break down and improve the soil quality I suppose and make the little plants happy. So those little plants you can when you buy your plants you can buy say six little seedlings in a punnet you can buy uh, advanced seedlings a little four pack of them or you can buy individual plants you experiment with all those different types what's your observation? I, I normally buy the smaller ones, four or six in a, in a pot. They're not, not really small, but, you know, maybe 
10 centimetres tall. Uh, and I might keep them in a sunny place at home for a little while just to go a little bit further. But I found planting really advanced tomatoes was, they didn't do any better than, uh, uh, than the seedlings. The fact that you've I got a bigger, that, bigger root system is more likely to get a setback, I guess. Yeah, well, I think that's what I thought. That, or that's what I've found, that the large... You disturb the larger root system more, and they don't, roots don't like being disturbed too much. And if they are, there are lots of roots there and you disturb them, it just takes them three or four weeks to get back to growth. In terms of varieties, big range out there, what have you found that has been effective and uh, going well this season? Well, I've mainly just uh, the old favourites, Mighty Red and Gross Liss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, the gross list ones actually is an experiment this year because they had what they bought out a, a mixed colour variety of of gross list. So um, I'm I'm interested in to see how because different colours grow at different rates too. That's quite interesting. But uh, yeah, they uh, they're good, and I'm just interested in experimenting on that. But I just stick to the old favourites because that's where you get your good crops. You went to cherry tomatoes. Oh, cherry tomatoes! Yeah, love cherry tomatoes. And, <laughs> Who doesn't? And, well, what, 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 uh, just a, a quickie. Um, between now and Christmas, people have got their tomatoes. They're flowering. They're starting to set. Um, any sort of hints or tips uh, to make sure that uh, they're going to be in top condition and ready to pick for half for Christmas? Well, oh yeah. Well, okay. One, one is pick out uh, stems. You know, uh, laterals. Don't have too many laterals growing on your tomatoes because otherwise all it's, you get too much green and not enough uh, tomatoes. It doesn't help the flowers set. I uh, always spray the early tomatoes with a wettable sulphur. And the other thing I always do is keep picking off the lower leaves because if it does rain or you're watering, um, if you splash the... Dirt gets splashed up onto the lower leaves. I think that's where you start getting some disease going up through the plants. Wayne, I only have one tomato plant, and I suspect my little dog will probably beat me <laughs> to the tomatoes. <laughs> so I'm relying on you having a good harvest <laughs> and, share, yeah, and sharing. <laughs> Thank you very much for talking to you this morning, uh, Wayne. It's nice catching up with you. Pleasure. Thanks, John. Thanks, Bye. Wayne. Great to hear from you. And Annie asks, is Wayne in the hills or on the plains? Oh, he's in uh, Paradise, just around the corner from uh, Campbelltown. Right, fantastic. <laughs> Almost a neighbour. Brilliant. Congratulations <laughs> to Dean in Spalding and Marlene in Poonindi, who have won the magazines. And uh, let's quickly jump to Rose from Warradale on tomatoes. Now, your cherry tomato leaves are curling, Rose. Yeah, that's right. They're a good size and... They've got oh, dozens of tomatoes already on there uh, and probably be red, uh, ready uh, in a couple of weeks, some of them. But the leaves are curling. The lower leaves, are older leaves or younger leaves? Uh, all of them. All of them going curly. Right, are they curling in or curling down? Curling down, I think. <laughs> oh, oh now, what's that. the difference? <laughs> well, uh, there are different kind of things. There's uh, viral problems uh, which make it go one way and uh, fungal diseases make it go another way and nutrition's tied up. It's a bit complicated. Uh, listen, um, I think 
Just get a wettable sulphur. Wettable sulphur. Uh, it overcomes a lot of things. It overcomes insects. It overcomes fungal problems. And uh, if there, if it's either of those, that will fix it. If it's a virus, there's not much you can do. It's in the root system, uh, uh, and uh, you, you just have to keep the plant as healthy as you possibly can. So, wettable sulphur, deep watering, uh, liquid organic on a fortnightly basis, half strength maybe. And uh, if you look after them, they should give you lots of lovely cherry tomatoes. They're, they're the Rhymo uh, cherries, and last year I had oh, I had buckets of them uh, with four plants. Yes, last um, season was brilliant for cherry tomatoes, mm, and yeah. it'll be very interesting. If you're growing tomatoes, please take notes. Make notes. What mm. varieties have you got? When did you plant them? And uh, then put your observations. That will help us with our end of tomato season survey, which That's will right. happen much, much later That's in the season. That's right, but it's hard to remember those details if you don't have your notes. So um, that's a great idea. Thanks, Rose. As Sarah's in Balaclava, our last caller on Talkback Gardening this morning. Now, um, I think your problem's being shared by many people at the moment, Sarah. <laughs> Tell us about it. There's earwigs everywhere and they're attacking everything. And uh, I've never had this issue before. Yes, it's been a great season for earwigs. Um, they breed, uh, the adults lay their eggs uh, in that late winter period. And we are mulching our gardens more effectively than we have in the past. And the mulch provides ideal growing conditions for the earwigs. We cover the ground with mulch. Uh, the earwigs lay their eggs in the topsoil. And normally you'd get little birds would scratch and beetles and things like that would eat up the eggs, but they're protected by the mulch. Mm. And so uh, uh, that is one factor. And the fact that the season has been absolutely brilliant in terms of breeding. Uh, you don't. It wasn't wet. If you get a very, very wet uh, spring, uh, early spring, a lot of them... Uh, get knocked off with fungal diseases and things like that. So uh, ideal breeding conditions, they've bred up in large numbers. What to do is the important thing. Trapping, trapping, trapping. You need to develop your system of reducing the population. They love getting stuck into oils and put some kind of a smelly kind of material with the oil um, if you want to. But the important little dishes of, uh, uh, of uh, oil and they'll uh, make it so that they can climb into it and they'll drown themselves, and uh, that's one way of it. You can also just... Uh, they don't like light. They f hide from the light. And so uh, a simple thing like a piece of hose stuck where the earwigs are, and at the uh, end of uh, night feeding, they will actually get into the hose, and in the morning if you just clean out the hose and clean out the earwigs, and there's lots of variations of themes, crumpled newspaper in a pot and things like that, but trapping is the, getting the population down is the solution to an earwig problem in gardens at the moment. So it's tried out Sarah, do what you can. John we are out of time again. I'd just like to say thank you to all of the people that sent through beautiful photographs. We can't refer to them all but thank you so much I'm so pleased that our text line is now working and we can get some pictures. John will have to put our heads together and try and come up with a competition. A competition, yes yeah. I think so yes. yeah, So stay tuned for that. This weekend lots of gardening jobs to do John I think I'm going to have to look at my irrigation system. By I've bought some little O-rings. O-rings are the little things that seal the uh, uh, little uh, uh, snap-on fittings and they tend to leak and O-rings will fix that problem. So that's my thing. And just next week... 
first Saturday of the month. Darren Ray. Darren Ray will be along. Why are the temperatures staying in the low 20s? There's got to be a reason. He'll explain. And how long before we have to experience that hot, dry weather that's supposed to be coming our way? Until next week, good gardening.